0: Little honey bees flying around. Little green peas from the ground. Buttered biscuits, nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Butter bean's peas, beets and chard. Chickens running in the yard. Catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm. Table, cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee Farm. Table, pick them maters, good and wrap. Driving black and candy stripes. Look at them loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee Farm.
1: Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table, a show that is dedicated to the people of our Appalachian region who produce, prepare, and preserve our local foods and our agricultural products. This is your hostess, Amy Campbell. Our theme song was graciously sung, arranged, and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee. We are so proud of this talented 14-year-old performer. Native Plants That is our topic on this episode of the Tennessee Farm Table. With the change in the seasons, lots of us are thinking about fall planting and landscaping, and I visit with Meredith Klepsch of Greenback, Tennessee, and hear why it makes such good sense to invest in native plants financially, environmentally, and aesthetically. Meredith is the land director of Foothills Land Conservancy, and she also co-owned and operated a native plant nursery in Greenback, Tennessee for over 30 years. So before running out to those big box stores, you might want to give this a listen. Fred Saussman shares a story about lemonade from North Carolina food writer Fred Thompson. Also, a story about Donna Netherland of Elizabethton, Tennessee and her recipe for posh squash using yellow crookneck squash. And if you're listening by radio, I've got a bluegrass gospel number from East Tennessee's very own Shadow Ridge. Thank you so very much for tuning in to the podcast or by radio. I am so happy to have your good company here today at our Tennessee table. Now let's get started. Our first guest is Meredith Klapsch, so let's join her right now. that's that mm-hmm. right okay good. good enough okay <laughs> and uh we're talking about native plants and so for those of us that don't really know why why native plants
2: that's a really a really big question and, and yes. it's gotten bigger I've learned more about why um and, and for me it's it the why was just I didn't know why but I just loved native plants I grew up I was a not knows little tomboy that was outside all the time, and I just love loved plants and so that I didn't know why I liked them, but there's a whole lot of reasons now to think about and I, it all comes down to, to a lot of like food, our choices, the choices we make. Um, I mean I enjoy everything about native plants and it's not that I don't like ornamentals as well, but when you learn the benefits of a native versus an ornamental and it's not always a negative thing but in a nutshell the native plants support native insects and birds and and they all support each other so so people have done the numbers and um, looked at landscapes that have all non-native exotic plants versus a native one, and what they look at is is the biodiversity. And you actually need the insects because it's trophic levels. You, you have to, you know, the insects have to eat the plants. The plants take up the sunlight, so the energy's gotta go through the bugs to get to the next level and then whatever the next level is. And if you look at non-native plants, because they didn't evolve here, they have way, way less insect problems, which is why we like them for our gardens, because they don't have bugs. But the truth is, it's really important to have the bugs so that you have everything else. And if you have a sterile landscape, I mean, honestly, for me, I want to see. I want to sit down, which I do every day, morning and evening. And, and <clears throat> there's bugs and butterflies and birds. And I don't have a TV and have no idea what I would do with one if I had one, um, because there's so much going on outside. So that is really, to me, the real reason now is that we ought, we need to support biodiversity. And if you look at land use we as individuals I mean Foothills does a lot you know 160,000 acres or whatever but if you look at what individuals own you know you and I and everybody else we control most of the land and so we have a choice and so I think to me I mean it's fun to me there's the fun part there's not all this why you have to do it but, but once you do do it and you learn a little bit it's to me it's just fun, you know, mm-hmm. so and you're making a good choice, at least you can feel like you're doing a good choice, so mm-hmm.
1: um, Absolutely
2: So that's you know, that's, I, I'm addicted to it I'll, I'll admit, but but most of the time when people come out to my place, and my place is really wild, Um I mean it's all Native and it's I control it more than you know, but it's all Native stuff and Um, people just love it. They come out there and, you know, they're amazed at all the birds and bees and whatever. So, so I know people enjoy that and and I don't expect everybody to be able to spend that kind of time or know that much or do that much, but I think everybody could probably switch out a few of their plants to something. I mean, oak trees are one of the best things you could do. Oak, a lot of our native trees, which most people at least have native trees in their yard, you know, so encouraging
1: that is is great it's a start so people listening today if if they wanted to just kind of start small Mm -hmm. um, what are some easy things Mm -hmm. to come and get and they can put in their yard that do real well in a basic landscape yard around here Um,
2: there's probably not going to be a a good answer to that because everybody
1: (laughs) everybody has
2: a different kind of yard yes Um, but for things to think about and there are good nurseries that I would recommend going to 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 answer those questions for your particular yard but you might have a full sun yard so you might want to look at prairie stuff Mm -hmm. and and I one of the first steps I recommend for people is to to look at their lawn and and lawn gets a bad rap from environmentalists and and there's some reasons for that but but A little bit of, we all need some place to run around barefoot. I understand that. Um, But look at your yard and and think about maybe if you can cut that down by some percentage, maybe half, you know. And think about, you might save time mowing. That's a (laughs) Uh, But But um, most of us are, you know, East Tennessee is... um, deciduous forest is what it wants to be but of course we've adjusted that so you might you might have a completely sunny lot you could get some native trees oaks poplars um you know things most of our native plants produce food for wildlife so that so you're home free pretty much there but if you if you want to change it all over you could start there with just native trees and and understory flowering things like dogwoods and and dogwoods are one of the most important for birds. The seeds in the fall are, are extremely important for migratory birds. And, you know, the dogwoods have had some disease problems. So, um, uh, anyway, so you might, you know, you could do that. A lot. What you want to look for, though, whatever you are, whatever you're trying to do, whether it's sun and moist or dry, you know, it's all these options. But you want to look for things that um, have berries or Or some kind of fruit and seed uh or maybe nectar um pollinators are another extremely important thing that mm-hmm. all of us could just not weed eat a couple of feet on either side of the fence, except maybe once a year, and the weeds that come up or you could plant some things you want there, but you know just leaving a few weeds. People, It's going to take a long time for people to accept that that's okay, but uh, but it really is okay.
1: If you've just joined us, you are listening to an interview with Meredith Klepsch from the Foothills Land Conservancy. For 30-some-odd years, she owned and operated a native plant operation in Greenback, Tennessee, and we're talking about the importance of native plants to our area. Looking for shrubs
2: particularly that might have berries Mm -hmm. um is is one of the first easy things to do a lot of those kinds of things you might be able to have beauty berry a lot of the native viburnums Mm -hmm. there are numerous native hollies that some are deciduous they lose lose their leaves but then they have those just leave the berries up all winter Mm -hmm. they're real pretty um native magnolias Mm -hmm. um are deciduous and they're really nice so there's there's just a a long list of things but then you could go to your perennials for either sun or shade that might have nectar pollen and 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 some will have fruit and berries too so any of the native plant nurseries and if i can the two that I'm most aware of. Overhill Gardens is nice. in Von Orr, mm-hmm. and he's a good friend and actually used to work for me. And then uh, Andy and Marty um, Zenny that are uh, at Sunlight Gardens in Andersonville are both excellent sources. You know, you said Lowe's and Home Depot, and I, I, I have issues with some things there, but they are actually starting to carry some native plants um, or quasi-native. Mm-hmm. There are selections that are being made for things that maybe are a little more adapted to the garden or might just be a little bit different color but still have the benefits like nectar and pollen and berries so it's not completely against you know lowe's and home depot but just know what you're getting and if you think you're getting it one of the problems for example that people don't think about is a lot of times when you get hybrid plants and they might have been native originally and they've been hybridized or selected and say the flowers might be double or triple petaled and then the nectar foragers can no longer get get to them and they may not even have nectar Mm -hmm. so that's the kind of problem you get into with with um, you know hybridized plants and Mm -hmm. and introduced plants whether they're native i mean whether they're you know european asian or whatever they might actually have nectar and those kinds of things which is not that's why they're not necessarily bad but they might be invasive they might spread and again one or two of those is probably okay but if if you put all those in then you're not going to have somebody feeding you know you're not going to have the worms and the bugs so anyway back to your question I think looking for the plants that, for your particular site, that would have some of these fruits, berries, you know, nectar. That's that's what you want. That's cool. Um, and a good mix. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't want three species, you know, <laughs> in your yard. You want more like 20 or 30. Yes. So... Of, of native things.
1: Well, Meredith Klepsch, thank you so much for being our guest. And thank you, Amy, for having me. And you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Our guest has been Meredith Klepsch, land director of Foothills Land Conservancy in East Tennessee and an expert on native plants. To connect with Meredith, I place links to her and all of my guests online at tennesseefarmtable.com under that link that says listen to the show. Support for the Tennessee Farm Table is brought to you in part by Century Harvest Farms and Century Harvest Farms Foundation in Greenback, Tennessee, a sustainable farm in East Tennessee producing 100% grass-fed beef and other wholesome farm products. Preservative free grass fed charcuterie, preserves, pickles, and jams. Also home to the community serving, food insecurity fighting Century Harvest Farms Foundation. Details at centuryharvest.com. And now let's join our friend Fred Sossman from Johnson City. Fred has two stories for us here today. The first is a recipe and a story involving yellow crookneck squash. And the second is a potluck radio series involving lemonade.
3: This is Potluck Radio. I'm Fred Saussman.
4: I want a real sweet start with a little tart kick at the end.
3: North Carolina food writer Fred Thompson is speaking of lemonade.
4: One good quick tip about lemons and getting the maximum amount of juice out of them. Don't take them right from the refrigerator and start trying to juice them. The juice wants to stay in there. Leave them out on the counter for a while to come to room temperature or if you want to you can throw them in a microwave for about 10 to 30 seconds to warm them up. Once they're at room temperature or slightly warmed, then kind of give them a gentle roll and you're breaking the membranes on the inside. I like using super fine sugar. I tend to put the sugar in the water, dissolve that first, and then put the lemon juice in there. I do like to take the rinds and throw them in the mixture and let it sit for a while. It's almost like I'm trying to steep the lemon oil out of the rinds. The real vibrant bang lemon flavor is in that oil that's that's in the rind. I never have understood how the lemon market works. In January, lemons are dirt cheap. And maybe the last thing we're thinking about then is a good glass of cold lemonade. In July, they're the most expensive they can be all year. Also, typically in January, the lemons are a little better. They have more juice. So I kind of got in the habit of, of making this lemonade concentrate and freezing it and then pulling that out in June and July and August Look for small lemons. They tend to have more juice. The larger lemons are all for show. Look for ugly lemons. I think lemonade works well with all the different types of southern barbecue from Texas to North Carolina to Memphis. It works really well with fried chicken because the acidity kinda helps cut any greasiness that's in there.
3: Fred Thompson is the author of the book, Lemonade. For Potluck Radio, I'm Fred Sauceman. As yellow crook-necked squash comes in this time of year, I always think of Donna Netherland. Donna taught first grade for 46 years in Elizabethton, Tennessee. She gave a commencement address at East Tennessee State University when she was 93 and another one when she was 99, just a few weeks shy of her 100th birthday. At ETSU, we called Donna our poster lady for lifelong learning. She read about 50 books a year, played the piano for Sunday School at Elizabethan's First Presbyterian Church, and was famous in Carter County for her homemade orange marmalade. Donna touched a lot of lives before her death in 2006 at the age of 101. In the middle of the summer, Students she had taught over the course of that long career would bring her garden vegetables, sometimes knocking on the door for a visit, other times just leaving bags of produce anonymously on her front porch. This is one of Donna's favorite recipes. She called it Posh Squash. You slice about two pounds of yellow summer squash and cook it in boiling water until it's tender— Drain it well and mix it with one cup of mayonnaise, three fourths cup of grated Parmesan cheese, a small onion chopped, two beaten eggs, a half teaspoon of salt and a quarter teaspoon of black pepper. Put that mixture into a casserole dish, then mix half a cup of cracker crumbs with about a tablespoon of melted butter. Scatter that on top of the posh squash and bake it at 350 degrees for about 30 minutes. And enjoy posh squash in memory of a great first grade teacher. For the Tennessee Farm Table, I'm Fred Saussman.
1: In addition to the Tennessee Farm Table show as a podcast, The program is also a radio show, which is broadcast every Saturday morning from 9 to 9.30 a.m. on the radio waves from the WDVX Knoxville studio in downtown Knoxville, Tennessee. WDVX is a non-commercial, listener-supported radio station and does not receive any support from universities or national public radio. Support for WDVX radio comes from homegrown listeners like yourselves, volunteers, and businesses who believe in the mission of WDVX. WDVX delivers a hearty helping of variety programming for the whole community 24-7 for over 20 years now